Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Scripture reading for this Sunday comes out of the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people move eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name of ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is the word of the Lord. This morning we're continuing in our series called Stranger Things, where we are looking at some of the stranger passages in the Old Testament. And the reason why we're doing this is not only just because uh, it's kind of a, a weird idea, we're doing this because a lot of these Old Testament passages, these stories seem really cryptic and like ancient and not for us here in modern day. But beneath the surface of these stories are Messages of richness, of meaning, of significance that are so relevant for us here and now. And this story is very much that. We actually did a, a survey through our website, through our, our e-newsletter, and through our Facebook page. And we asked the question, out of all the different Old Testament stories, which one would you like to be preached on the most? And the Tower of Babel was the one that you most wanted to hear. And I don't know if it's because that was one of the few weird Old Testament stories you knew, or if this was something that has always just been puzzling to you. Uh, regardless, I, I think this story is such a beautiful, wonderful message that is incredibly timely. For us to understand what is going on in this story, we actually have to wind the reel back a little bit. We have to go back to the very, very beginning and if you go back to the beginning, you begin to put this story in a broader frame that it begins to make more sense of what was going on. In Genesis 1, 27 and, uh, and 28, and in verse 31, we see God's created intent for all of humanity. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, now listen to this, the original commandment. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Later on in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and then there was morning the sixth day. We see here in this, uh, this passage the original intent that God had for humanity. It's actually quite profound. We find in this passage that it begins by a word of blessing and it gives us a commandment, and then God blessed them again by saying, this is so very good. It's like there's like a blessing sandwich 
with this commandment in the middle. And oftentimes we might want to separate, all right, here's the blessing part, here's the command part, but what if they're one and the same? Like what if God's call on your life is also a blessing? What if like this call to be and to do what God created you to be is the blessed life? And we don't experience that blessing when we begin to wander and to function in ways that we weren't created to. And so we find here, God bless them, and called them to be fruitful and increase, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. In these few passages, we see that God had some original roles for humanity. And uh, what is really important is that God wanted all of the world to be filled with God's people, which is really interesting because if you were to know and study prehistoric literature about uh, the mythology of gods in that area, oftentimes you would find in these stories that the gods would get annoyed when humanity would get too numerous. And oftentimes gods were tired of hearing their noise. And so the gods would send plagues and kill them off to make sure that they were repressed. And here the story of God is something totally different, that God wants more, God wants flourishing, God wants people throughout the whole world. Why? I think it speaks to God's love and compassion for the whole world, that in God's story, it's a story of abundance. It's a story of abundance. And so in this, we see here that God displays the call for humanity, and there's two original roles that God called them for. The first original role is that of an image bearer, that humanity was created in the image and the likeness of God. Think about that. You, everyone in this room, created in the image of God. This is why every human life has such value and significance and importance because everybody was created in the image of God. doesn't matter where you are in this world. Everybody was created in the image of God. The person digging through the dumpster, created in the image of God. The people who are being oppressed, created in the image of God. People who are fleeing, looking for any sort of refuge in this world, created in the image of God. Your annoying neighbor, created in the image of God. We were called to be image bearers, and this was so that wherever we would go, the image of God would be reflected. Wherever we go in this world, the image of God would be there. God would be known and experienced. It's like the aroma of God goes wherever you go. This was why God created you. Uh, for me, Ted and I, he, Ted's the other pastor. He's not here this morning. He's with his family. Y'all can be praying for Ted as, as his father is sick. Um, Ted and I, whenever we travel together, I'm not someone who wears cologne. Uh, Ted wears cologne. When we travel together because we want to be responsible, we oftentimes share a hotel room. And I never have to worry about what I will smell like on these trips. <laughs> I will smell like Ted, whatever Ted wants to smell like. When you're around someone, when you have this experience, this closeness, you carry their aroma with you. The way that you were created is that wherever you go, you would carry the aroma of God. And God wants that aroma all throughout the world. God wants the aroma of justice in every corner of this world. God wants the aroma of mercy and of hospitality and of compassion, of righteousness, all throughout the world. This is why you were created. But there's another role. 
that, uh, that we were created for. And we find in, those, in, that, in that Genesis passage the verbs to rule and to subdue. That seems like the role of an oppressor, right? To rule and to subdue, like pushing down. But this is actually might be better defined as a cultivator, that we were created to cultivate this world that God created to make it flourish also. Being in the image of God, God cultivates us as God's people, bringing forth uh, who God created us to be. And we too are called to go into this world, to cultivate this world, that, that hope and, would spring up in this world, that wherever you go, that you could help restore this world to be like God intended this world as well to cultivate flourishing and beauty. This is why we were created. So remember this as we talk about the rest of this passage. It's that God so wanted his image and likeness throughout the whole earth because God lo- God's love is not bound by boundary, by region, by ethnic group. God wants the image bears to be in all the world to cultivate it so that this world has the aroma of God. The plan hit a speed bump in, in, in the passage we actually looked at last week. Last week, we looked at a very bizarre passage, and it ends with God seeing all of humanity as wicked, but Noah, but Noah and his family were preserved, and it's like this, that God got to recreate the original plan, and all of a sudden, humanity came forth again. What you might not know is in Genesis 9-1, how the story starts over again. Look at this. This happens right after the flood is over. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Where is that from? It's the same commandment that was given in Genesis 1 that God is saying, As I'm recreating this world again, here it is once again. My commandment is still the same. My passion is still the same. My desire is still the same. That I want you to be fruitful, to increase in number, and to fill this whole earth. You are without excuse. My commandment, my calling is the same. The original blessing and the original call of humanity are there together. So humanity continues to grow and to increase, not only in number, but they also grow in their skills and their abilities. And somewhere along the way, humanity, although it had one language, and although they were spreading out, at some point, they decided to stop spreading out. They created a city and they built a tower. And you could read this Tower of Babel story and wonder, what's the big deal? What's so wrong with cities? What's so wrong with towers? The problem is actually twofold. The problem in Babel is twofold. First, they were doing this to make their own name great. In verse 4, we see, Then they said, Come, let us build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Making a name refers to a desire for greatness. It's fueled by a hunger for self-praise and worship. It's driven by pride and hubris. This idea of being someone of renown is what this is talking about. And it's like they're not satisfied with the fact that God created them in God's own image. Wouldn't that be enough? No, we'd actually like to make our own name. 
And so they created this tower, and I don't think they actually started by creating a tower. I think they probably started by maybe building a wall to protect themselves and their loved ones, and then they realized, oh, look at what we can do. And then, then oh, looks, I wonder if we can build the structure. Oh, yeah, we can build the structure. Oh, look, his house is bigger than mine. All right, maybe I can make mine bigger. And then finally someone goes, stop, whoa, whoa, whoa. You wonder how high we can build this thing? And all of a sudden, ego and pride begins to be welled in. Do you think we could even create a tower big, build in, big enough to go into the heavens, then we would make it. Then our names would be known. In this region, oftentimes you can see uh, as, in excavations these old monuments built like this. And it's so funny, in, ret- in, in our opinion, you look at these tall towers reaching the heavens and they're not tall at all. But for them, they often thought that this was their ability to get into heaven. And these they, they call them ziggurats, that they would build them, and at the very top of them, they would actually create a, sh- a shrine. See what I've done. Look at how high this is. And I believe that this passage was written with that shrine on top so that we would have this understanding that the voice of humanity and the voice of God seem really similar in this passage. Did you notice that? Come, let us make is a refrain spoken by both humanity and by God, let us make. It's like the story is telling us something deeper, that humanity has a perpetual desire and appetite to step into the role of God. Instead of making God's name great, going throughout the world, what if we could do this for ourselves? That's the first problem with Babel, was they did this to make their own name great. But there's a second problem, and it's simple. They dismissed their calling to spread out. Remember the original calling? Go throughout the whole world, fill the world, spread out. And humanity chose to sidestep this calling and blessing because they were tired of it. They were tired of spreading out. In verse 4, we see that uh, they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. They're treating this blessing and this calling like a curse. They're wanting to get out from underneath it. And do you notice in this story what discovery causes them to realize that they can build this city, this wall, their tower? Bricks. It's really interesting to me. In verse 3, they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. What is interesting to me about bricks is that this will be a theme of a curse for the people of God. Sorry for anyone in masonry. Uh, But brick will end up being a theme of a curse. Because when else were the people of God so fixed on making bricks? It was not their own choosing. It was actually back in Egypt. Egypt had a huge appetite to make their name great, to build their shrines, but they didn't want to do it on their own, so they found these Hebrew people. And what did they do? They treated them as slaves, and all they did was to construct bricks. In Exodus 5, 6, and 9, we see this. Uh, the, the people of God go to Pharaoh, and they ask him, can, can you let us go into the wilderness to worship? That, that same day, Pharaoh gave them this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go up and sacrifice to our God. 
I think the symbol of bricks for many people in the Hebrew nation is the curse of production and the curse of pride. And we see it even here in this original story. So God decides to intervene. In verse five, but the Lord came down to see the city. I love that. Like, they think the city's so huge, and God then has to go down to see it. Like, oh, how cute. Like, look at that. And the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. At first reading, does this seem kind of like a petty view of God? Like God's afraid of how big their tower is going to be? Almost like a big sibling who's watching their younger brother or sister make a Jenga tower a little too tall? And so they bump it over, O'Doyle rolls, you know, that kind of moment? Or is there something else going on? I think what God is doing here is he is lovingly concerned by the trap that these people are falling prey to. He sees their inability to use their ability for anyone beyond themselves. So God separates them into different languages or confuses their language. The Hebrew word for confuse is Babel. Uh, So the Tower of Babel could be translated the confused tower. Is this confused because their languages were confused or is this tower confused because their calling was confused? It was forgotten. So in verse 8 and 9, so the Lord scattered them from over all the earth. They stopped building this city. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So in the end, God's will actually prevailed. In the end, they, they did spread out. In the end, they did go out from one another. Like the, that God's will will happen. God's will won't be thwarted is something that we need to know. But what is at stake is our joy-filled participation in that will. What is at stake is whether or not you and I will be joyfully participating in the will of God to be the image bearer, to be the cultivator that God wants to be. And I know for me, like, I want in on God's plan. I want in on the story that God's writing in this world. I don't want to be left out. A question that was given to me many years ago has stuck with me. It has to do with this grace-filled invitation that we have to join in, this invitation to be a part of God's plan. Because we are blessed by the same blessing and we're afflicted by the same temptation. And the question is, would you rather be the lead role in your small story or a small and supporting role in God's big story. What this is speaking about is you could play your life being the lead role in your story. Like you could you can make your life about yourself. I could be like write out the story of Mark, featuring Mark, directed by Mark, written by Mark. You know, like I could I could build this life story about me. The reality is it's quite a small story. Or might we receive this invitation from God to be a part of God's huge, eternal, conquering story that's being written throughout all of time, including today, and God is looking at you and saying, you want to be a part of it? The problem for most of our egos 
is this, if we enter this story, it's a small role. It's a supporting role. Like the camera's not following us all the time. We're maybe popping in in a scene here or there. But it's a significant role in God's story. And like the problem with this is we don't like playing a supporting role in anything. We like for life to be about us. My comforts, my dreams, my desires. And the problem with this is that oftentimes, if we make our life story about us, we'll turn a blessing into a curse. Uh, my friend Jerry, uh, Jerry Hughes, uh, he's a part of a group that we get together on Thursday mornings to talk about our scripture. And he reminded me some time ago that in Roman times, a conquering general was allowed a triumph. And a triumph is a, uh, it's a march of victory through the streets after Uh, after they won in battle. And so this general was allowed a triumph. But Caesar commanded that a slave was required to stand next to the general in his chariot, continuously whispering in his ear, all glory is fleeting. All glory is fleeting. So as they're going through this parade and the crowds are cheering, you're unstoppable. All glory is fleeting. To remind them how short-sighted we are. All glory is fleeting, but Christ's glory. Instead of spending our life building a sandcastle on the beach, a monument to ourselves, we can spend our life playing a small and supporting role into God's story. This story which knows no end, which is transforming the world, which will not come back void. And our choice is between those two, which is the safer bet. And isn't it crazy that God would cast players like you and me to be a part of a story to begin with? Isn't that crazy enough that we still are God's cultivators and image bearers in this world? The temptation to build our own towers is not just for individuals, though. It's even for groups of people. It's even for churches. Even for this little bitty church that we are, only a year old, we even recognize that within ourselves. Like, oh, what if we continue to grow? What if we could do this? Or what if we could have that? Or what if we could do this? We even experience this in ourselves. What if we could build a tower? Uh, we don't talk much about money up front. Maybe we should more. But we just want, I want to let you in on something that we decided to do from the very beginning. Before we even had a dime in our budget, we decided that we were always going to reserve 5% of our budget to help plant new churches. 5% of whatever we are able to gather, we want to be able to send out to, to help start new churches. Why? Because well, we created this church in Austin knowing that this city is growing rapidly. It needs a lot more churches reaching people who aren't connected to Jesus, the gospel, or a family of believers. And we realized we didn't solve it when we came here. <laughs> like it, it's not done. And so rather than building up, we want to spread out. We want to be a part of a bigger story that God is doing here in this city and in this world. What is beautiful about this is the story of the Tower of Babel takes on a new light after Jesus. In Jesus, God's image and likeness finally was made perfect. In Jesus, we see how life could be cultivated in this world by loving others, living sacrificially, walking with God, In Jesus' life and death and life again, he too began a new chapter in the story of God. 
And what happened after the resurrected Jesus came to his disciples, he told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. And then something as equally strange as the Tower of Babel happened. You guys are getting a twofer, two for one, two weird stories in one Sunday. Acts 2, verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. And before I read this, you have to read this with Babel in mind. These two stories, let them talk to each other. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house they were sitting. They, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated them and came to rest on each of them. Um, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to, to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Notice the Spirit of God enabling them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. This means that people who are a part of different nations but who are following and, and, and knowing Yahweh, uh, God, uh, they were all there in Jerusalem. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Which they were like the like, uneducated people of their day. Later on, they, they would think that the Galileans were also drunk. So imagine like LSU student body. Just kidding. Um, so they were looking at the Galileans going, how come we can hear our language? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And then one of, one of the disciples stood up and shared with them the message and the hope of Jesus. How God's love is for the whole world. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for Jerusalem. It's for the whole world. In verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom our Lord our God will call. With many words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation, this generation of Babels. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is where the church began. This is where this new chapter in God's story began. And did you notice the conversation between Babel and this story, which is called Pentecost? Did you notice the conversation between these two? The scattering that happened in the world at Babel, God now was sending the message of Jesus in every tongue, in every language for all people, that for them, that the gospel, the fact that Jesus was alive and invited them into this life was for everyone. From Babel, where languages were confused, to Pentecost, where the message reached all languages. From Babel, where people's attempt to reach heaven, to Pentecost, when God's spirit descended and began to live within humanity. From Babel, where humanity wanted to make their name great, to Pentecost, which carried the name of Jesus, 
salvation for many. From Babel, where God saw the misuse of power and confused it, to Pentecost, where God empowered his image bearers and cultivators to go into the world. The message of Jesus is meant for every inch of this world. Every inch of this world. Therefore, we too have this original blessing and the original calling to go into all the world and make the name of Jesus great. Cultivate this world so it has the aroma of Jesus. I want to leave you with two questions. These questions are questions I think each of us should wrestle with. The first question is, where is God wanting to scatter us but we would rather build up? Some of us struggle with the idea of leaving the comforts of the city to be scattered in the world. We would rather stay in our fortified wall and keep building our own towers. The people of Babel, I think, had a taste of a city. And once you taste comforts and security, it's really hard to be scattered. And by the way, the idea of being scattered, who wants that? It sounds chaotic. It sounds sacrificial. But it is in this action that we might actually experience more of God's blessing. And the reality is, we actually scatter every single Sunday at 11.20 a.m. We do. We scatter back to our life. We scatter back to our neighborhoods, our families, our friends, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. We scatter, but what would, how do we live differently if we believe that God's Spirit was sending us there? How do we live differently if we actually thought that our job as we are scattered people is to go and to make the aroma of Christ known in these places? The second question is, would you rather be the lead role in your small story or a supporting role in God's larger story? Would you rather use your skills, your finances, your resources, your abilities, your relationships to build up God's story in this world or would you prefer to make this more about your own story? We can use all these gifts to build up ourselves or we can seek to make God's love famous in this world. And the choice is for us all. This choice is for us all. I can tell you which one holds more hope, more joy, and more life. 